This is Pastor Mike, and I want to welcome you to the Life Fellowship Podcast. I know that the trials of each of you experience can often feel overwhelming, and at those times, the enemy tries to bring discouragement into your life. Remember that in John 16, Jesus tells us to be of good cheer because he has overcome the world. Today, as you listen, I pray that God's word ministers to you and that the power of the Holy Spirit deposits joy and peace into your situation. Well, listen, it's a good day to be in God's house. Amen. Amen. I want to thank all of our uh, young adults for uh, coming to the axe throwing last night. That was a, a, a lot of fun. We had a, we had a good time. Nobody got any fingers or toes cut off, so that was that was a, a positive. So it was good. Well, listen, I want to talk to you for just a few moments this morning. We continue our series in redigging old wells, and I want to talk to you this morning about redigging the well of unshackled faith. Redigging the well of unshackled faith. And if you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 8. I want to read a scripture with you this morning to just lay out a picture of the faith that you and I should have. Matthew chapter 8, verse 5. So now when Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him, pleading with him, saying, Lord, my servant is lying at home paralyzed and dreadfully tormented. And Jesus said to him, I will come and heal him. The centurion answered and said, Lord, I'm not worthy that you even should come under my roof, but only speak the word and my servant will be healed. For I also am a man under authority, having soldiers under me. And I say to this one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes, and to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard it, he marveled and said to those who followed, to the disciples, he said, Assuredly, I say unto you, I have not found such a great faith, not even in all of Israel. And dropping down to verse 13, Then Jesus said to the centurion, Go your way, and as you have believed, let me say that again, as you have believed, so let it be done for you. And the Bible says his servant was healed that same hour. God, I ask you this morning in this house, Lord, that you would just, God, help us to unshackle our faith in you today, God. God, that we would believe that there is nothing too hard for you. Speak to our spirit, God, in Jesus' name. And everyone say amen. Hallelujah. This story of the centurion is tremendous. This man recognized that Jesus' word was enough. And church, I want to tell you something this morning. That wasn't just in place for 2,000 years ago. Today, Jesus' word is still enough. This centurion focused more on his believing than he did his lacking. He lacked the power, but he believed there was somebody that could overcome. You can, I know it's been said many times, but you can't ever receive beyond what you can believe. You can't receive beyond what you can believe for. 
Faith is not an option for those who love the Lord. Hebrews 11.6 says that without faith, it is impossible. That, every time I read, and I've probably read that verse a hundred times. I don't know how many times. But every time I read that, I think, man, that's tremendous. It's not many things in the Bible that says this will be impossible. Without, it says without faith, it's impossible to please the Lord. It's not an option. But in many lives, the well of faith has been clogged up by doubt and disappointments. And as the stones of doubt and disappointments begin to clog up that well, all of a sudden that water, that well of faith, ceases to flow in the life of the Christian. Faith is not an opinion. Everybody's got an opinion. Your doctor has an opinion. Your lawyer has an opinion. Your wife or your husband has an opinion. Every, every church member, hallelujah, has an opinion. Everybody has an opinion. Faith is not an opinion. Opinions are just based off of facts. Faith is not based off of facts. Faith is based off of truth. Facts can be flawed. I don't know how many of you remember uh, JFK Jr. He was uh, uh, just an up-and-coming Kennedy and for all respects a very respectable young man in the Kennedy family. And as he was growing up, I believe he was about 40 years old, him and his, I can't remember if he had just gotten married or it was his fiance, but they were flying over to Martha's Vineyard and he crashed and, and was killed. And I was doing some study on that, on that crash and he was overcome by what pilots call spatial disorientation. So it, he, he didn't fly by instruments yet. He only flew by sight. He shouldn't have taken that flight in the weather and the fog. But, so he didn't fly by instruments. He flew by sight only. So as he was flying, he got turned around in the fog and they determined by the black box on the plane that his plane was actually flying upside down. And as he thought he was pulling up, he was actually diving into the sea. He was overcome by spatial disorientation. He, his opinion was based on the facts that I'm doing okay. But in all reality, the truth of the situation was he was headed for a crash. And I want to tell you this morning, church, that sometimes we look at the facts instead of looking at the truth. The facts may say one thing, but the truth says something else. The truth says that the God that I serve, it wears the victor's crown. The truth says that God can heal the marriage. The truth says that God still is a healer. I don't care what the facts and what the opinions given because of the facts are. God is a God of truth. And his word is based off of truth. This morning, I want to give you just a few points, and I want to give you some good news about your faith. You have the perfect dose. Every person in this room this morning has been given the perfect dose of faith. Romans 12, 3 says that God has dealt to every believer, help me out, a measure 
of faith. He's measured out. God would not give you less than what you needed. Every person in this place this morning, you've been given a measure of faith. Here's another good, good uh, piece of news for you today. It doesn't take much. There's a mustard seed. The Bible says that with that much faith that you can say to this mountain, pick yourself up and go drown yourself in the sea and it will be done. That that's all that it takes is that little bitty mustard seed of faith. But our problem is not the measure. Our problem is we have an exercise problem. God didn't say don't increase your faith. He said I've given you the perfect measure and you're supposed to exercise and increase your faith. And I want to tell you this morning, my faith ain't the the only thing I got an exercise problem in. I laid some carpet in the daycare this week. And about Wednesday morning, I thought that Stephanie may have to go ahead and call the coroner for me because I, I thought I may die from the pain in my body because I don't do that very often anymore. So as I exercise those muscles, I, I, I was struggling just to function. And I want to tell you, the reason you and I struggle when we come up against a trial is because we haven't exercised our faith as we went along in this walk. And all of a sudden, we come up against a brick wall. And all of a sudden, we try to have this exuberant amount of faith. But we haven't exercised up to that point, And we try to figure out, why is this so hard? It's because we haven't been exercising. If you've ever been somebody that's lifted weights, and I I am not one of those people, but you'll see that they don't start out with 100 pounds. They'll start, if they're working on their biceps, they'll start with a smaller weight, and they, they push and push, and when that gets too difficult, then they wait about a day to rest, but the next day they come into the gym, they may add five pounds to that bar. And before you know it, they have worked their way up to the heavyweight division. Why? Because they have continuously exercised that muscle. And faith is the same way. God intends for us to exercise our faith. This morning, I want us to look at several ways to exercise and grow our faith. Because I want to please God and I want the miraculous to happen in my life and the life of this church. I want you to think about what would take place if blind eyes were opened in this church next Sunday morning. I'll tell you what would be going on by March 1st. We'd be trying to find a place to sit people. And there's there's not much faith in the church anymore. I'm just going to tell you, we've got agnostics that's got more faith in the junk they believe than the church does. And it's time for us as a body of believers to begin to exercise this faith. The number one thing that exercises our faith is trials. Oh, somebody should just shout hallelujah. Trials. James 1, 2 and 3 says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, 
because you know that the testing, I'm going to change that to the exercising, the exercising of your faith produces perseverance. In other words, it produces longevity. The process of testing your measure of faith will involve trials oftentimes that seem too much for you to bear. And I was just thinking in Scripture, one of the greatest tests of faith that I think is written in Scripture is about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. When those three men were, were thrown into the fiery furnace, and they let the king, Nebuchadnezzar, they let him know, said, King, you may throw us in, but our God will watch over us. And they're so sold out on the faith in who they serve, they said, and look, even if he doesn't, we're still going to praise his name until the end. And I want to tell you, I'll have people ask me, what, but pastor, what if it doesn't happen? I want to tell you, Job gave us another good example of that. He said, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. I can tell you, I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow and next week or next month, but I know that whenever I leave this life, ever how I leave this life, I want to go out with the blessing of the Lord upon my lips. I want to go out praising him for who he is. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, Daniel chapter, Daniel chapter 3. My daughter gets tickled when I get tongue-tied. <clears throat> I would rather the enemy see Jesus in the fire than me. You read that story. The Bible says that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Is that better, Emma? They, they were in the fire, and Nebuchadnezzar looks down, and he says, Wait a minute. Didn't we just throw three men in the fire? He said, I see a fourth man walking around in the fire. And there's a lot of debate on this next part of this verse. The scripture says in the fourth looks like the son of God. Some of them say the sons of gods because he didn't really believe in, in, in the God that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego believed in. But I'll tell you this. He recognized that there was something different about the fourth man. Regardless of who he thought he was, he recognized that there was a supernatural existence in the fourth man. The Bible doesn't say that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego even saw Jesus in the fire. But the Bible the Bible says that the enemy, Nebuchadnezzar, saw him. And I want to tell you something. When you're going through a trial, if you'll go into it with the faith that if God brought me this far, I know that he can see me all the way through. I don't care what it looks like. There may be so much smoke. There may be so much heat that I can't even open my eyes and see what's right in front of me. But I believe that God in heaven has given divine provision in the midst of the trial that when the enemy looks in, he says, I thought that I had done it all. I thought that I had beat them in this game, but I still see that God is still working in the midst of the fire, in the midst of the trial. Your faith under trial activates heaven to step in to the onslaught of hell itself. The same man that caused the trial brought him out. Your faith in the trial can turn people that you thought would have never come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. If you read that story in Daniel 3, he says, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, 
Children of the Most High God, come out of that fire. I've tried, I tried to get a visual in my mind of what that must have looked like. I guess it was steps that led down into that furnace. I, I tried to picture what it must have looked like for those boys just to come walking up those steps and for all of those men that wanted them dead just to see them coming out and all, and listen they weren't coming out with their hair all singed they weren't coming out the Bible even goes to as far as to say there wasn't even the smell of smoke on their clothes and I want to tell you something this morning some of you are concerned about the trial you've been going in and you've been going through but I want to tell you that God has provided real provision for you that where when you come out on the other side of that, you're going to look around and say, my God, I didn't realize that you sustained me when I didn't even know what was going on. But God has provided a perfect plan for your trial. Your faith makes skeptics believe. Faith allows you to advance even when all of hell seems like it's unleashing it's demons against you. Is anybody, uh, people will say this to me, say, Pastor, the devil's really on my back. Well, he may be. But if he's on yours, I can rest because he's not on mine. Because the, Satan is not omnipresent like God. Satan can only be in one place at one time. But we do battle the demons and the legions that he sends out. But Ephesians, and that's called spiritual warfare. Now I'm not going to preach on that today, but Ephesians chapter 6, Paul gives us just a real quick look at what faith means in the midst of spiritual warfare. Ephesians 6.16, he, he, he's talked about the belt of truth. He's talked about all the armor of God. And then he gets to verse 16 and he says, But above all, he said above all, he said, you better pick up your shield of faith by which you will quench all the fiery darts of the enemy. I, this was in the midst of the trial, in the midst of the battle. And I want to tell you this morning, your trial is not a place that's meant for you to retreat. When, when hell begins to come against you and it seems like that all the legions have been unleashed against your home and against your life, it's time for you to pick up that shield of faith and recognize that there is a destiny in you that God wants you to complete. It's time to pick up that shield and say I'm going forward I'm still advancing for the kingdom of God you pick up that shield of faith and you advance the psalmist says in Psalms 18 29 that I can run through a troop and I can leap over a wall the Lord's word is flawless and he shields all of those who take refuge in him Scripture says that your faith is like a shield. In other words, when negativity comes, that your faith, what does a shield do? It protects. And this is what I like. The shield is different than regular armor. Regular armor that you wear, it's, the, it, it's because you just know there's some things that are going to come your way and it's just to protect you at all times. But a shield is mobile. A shield is mobile where when you, all of a sudden you see something coming, you hold it up here. 
or hold it up there. It, it, the shield is a mobile piece of your faith being, if you will, that you can take that shield of faith and regardless of whatever comes into your life, that you pick it up and say, nope. See, the problem we have because we don't exercise our faith, we get defeated feeling. And instead of holding our shield up, we're walking around like this. We just walk around. When God says, I want you to pick up above all, above all, I want you to pick up that shield of faith by which you will begin to quench the attack of the enemy against your life. Trials exercise your faith and grow you. Trials are not about what you can see in the trial but what you can't see. 2 Corinthians, I believe it's 5, 7, says we walk by faith and not by sight. We walk by faith and not by sight. Trials strengthen your faith. The second thing that really strengthens our faith is we must listen and act upon what we hear. Romans 10, 7, 10 17 says, So then faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. James 1, 22 and 24 says, Be ye doers of the word, and not hearers only. Let me say that again in case anybody missed it. Be ye doers of the word and not hearers only. What do you do with the information you receive from the Lord? Just a self-evaluation question for you to ask yourself this morning. What do you do with what you hear from the Lord? We may have somebody here this morning you've never accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And I, I don't want you to make any mistake about it. There's going to come a day, the Bible says, that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord over all. And if your name is not found in that group, the Bible says that you will be cast into the lake of fire where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth, where the worm dieth not. It's a place of utter torment. It's a place of loneliness and despair. You're not going to be there with friends. You're not going to be there with other family members that aren't saved. You're, you're going to be separated from any type of fellowship. In eternal torment. So my question for you today, if you've never been saved, what do you do with God's word if you come into church on Sunday and you hear it, but do you act upon it? And I want to tell you, it's not for me to convict, but I want to tell you the Holy Spirit I believe is in this place. That if you don't know Jesus as your Savior today, I believe that He's moving and working in your life to get you to recognize you need Jesus as your Lord. You need Jesus as your Savior. Be doers of the Word. We are responsible for what we hear. His Word has always been the standard of truth. At your Word, Lord. At your Word. Luke chapter 5. 
Peter and the disciples have been fishing. They're worn out. Has anybody ever been worn out in their walk? I mean, where's the real people at this morning? I mean, I'm talking about the people that want to throw in the towel and say, I, I am done with this Jesus thing. They're worn out. They're tired. They've been fishing all night. They, they, they don't think they can take one more step. Jesus comes along and he said, hey, why don't you throw your nets on the other side of the boat? Now, I want to tell you when I'm tired and worn out and somebody comes along and tells me to go back out and all I got to do is drop the net down on them, I'm going to tell them they have lost their mind. And Peter came pretty close. He said, Lord, we have been at this all night. But then he uttered just a very significant word in Peter's life. It said, nevertheless. And I want to talk to you about the nevertheless factor in your faith. Lord, I know I have tried. I know I have believed. I know I have done all that I can do. But God, at your word, nevertheless, I'll do it. God, nevertheless, we'll go back out. We'll get the nets back out. We'll drop them down again. Can I tell you that your faith shouldn't feel shackled or shouldn't be shackled because you feel tired and worn out? Faith from God is not an emotion this morning. We let our emotions too often uh, come in contact with our faith and it begins to dilute our faith. Faith in God is not an emotion. It's not appealing. Faith in God is what is inside of me because I serve the great I am, because I serve the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Peter said, nevertheless, Lord, it's your word, I'll do it. Then in Matthew 14, Peter again. I love stories about Peter because he, re he reminds me of just regular folks. I mean, one minute he's blessing people and, and feeding people in an outreach, and the next minute he's cutting off ears. Everybody's just got that one church member in your mind right now. Matthew 14, there was a storm. Peter looks out in the midst of the storm, and he said, Lord, if it's really you, it's your word, I'll come. He gets out and he walks on the water. And I, listen, I, I know pe people say, yeah, but man, he didn't take him long. He started working down. He started looking down and he started to sink. At least he got out of the boat. At least his name was mentioned in the book. There were other disciples in the boat. They didn't get mentioned in the story because they, listen, they had sat beside Jesus. They had ate beside Jesus. They had been working with Jesus. But Peter had the faith to recognize that there was something about the word of the Lord. And I've come to tell somebody in this place this morning that there is still power in the name of Jesus. There is still power in the word of the Lord. It's never lost any power. Peter, I, I wrote this note, note down. He had reckless, abandoned faith. I looked up the definition to reckless, abandoned. Not concerned about the consequences, but just accepting what he said. Peter wasn't worried about it. He said, God, I've got reckless, abandoned faith. See, the problem we have in church, and I'm preaching to myself, we've got reserved faith. 
We don't want to have the kind of faith that exposes us. Oh, come on. Well, I don't want to go down and believe for that. What if somebody finds out and it, it doesn't happen? God's looking for us to have reckless, abandoned faith. Peter wasn't worried about what everybody else thought. He wasn't worried about the... Can you imagine what the rest of the church folks were saying as Peter got up on the edge of that boat? Hey, boys, I'm getting ready, I'm getting ready to step over and I'm going to walk to Jesus. Peter, you better stay in this boat. What you going to do if you get out there in the middle? Peter, you don't even know how to swim. Listen, he had reckless, abandoned faith. He said, God, at your word. In church, I want to tell you, we need to adopt a nevertheless attitude and say, God, nevertheless at your word, I will believe in you. God, nevertheless, I believe that your word is still true. God, nevertheless, I believe that your word still applies to my situation. Nevertheless, God, even though I messed it up myself, not because of anybody else, God, I messed it up myself, but nevertheless, I know that you're still moving and working on behalf of your children. Peter got out of the boat. He made the book. And then there was foolish faith. Romans 4.20 says, Abraham staggered not and what God had spoken to him, but remain strong in the faith. Abraham's younger. He tells, God tells Abraham, man, I'm going to make you a mighty nation. You're, you're going to be like the sands on the seashore, Abraham. Now, I just want to tell you, when you get on up around 100 years old, you begin to scratch your head on that one a little bit. This is amazing to me. The Bible says Abraham staggered not. Abraham still had to act on faith in God. I really want you to get this. Abraham and Sarah at 100 years old, they still had to go on a date night somewhere or another to have a baby. Some of y'all don't can't figure that out. Come see me after service. I'll talk to you. I want you to think about that. They had to act. The Bible says that Sarah herself reckoned her body is dead. There wasn't anything that was functioning in her reproductive system. That they were dead to having children. But the Bible says in Romans chapter 4 that Abraham staggered not. That, that's amazing to me that throughout the whole process that he staggered not. And I want to tell you something. I don't know what month or what year that Sarah conceived. But I will tell you this. I don't believe it was the first time that they tried to conceive a child. The Bible says he staggered not. In other words, he said, we're going to keep trying. God has promised us a baby. And we're going to try. And we're going to try. I don't care if we get to be 105 or 110. All I know is God's word is his word. And God's word is all true. And I want to tell you this morning in this place, there may have been something promised to you by God. And you feel like time has passed you by you may feel like the promise of God is dead. I want to tell you, square your shoulders. Stand up straight. Don't stagger at the word of the Lord. You believe that God will bring to pass what he has promised. 
Faith is not about what I can see. Faith is about what I know. What I know is greater is he that is in me than he that was in the world. Listen, Abraham and Sarah being able to have a baby at 100, that was a supernatural act. It was a supernatural act. Greater is he that is in me. What we need to believe for is for God. See, we, we look at faith and we say, well, I don't believe I could do that. Honey, it ain't never been about what you could do. <laughs> Sir, it's never been about what you could do. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. It's not about, see, we keep looking at what we can see. But it's not about what we see. Faith says that my destiny is greater than my dilemma. Abraham recognized my destiny is greater than this dilemma of us being dead to having children. I want you to get this, that faith is still moving when you can't see it. See, we're, anybody in here have a patience problem other than me? Some of y'all better raise your hands. I, I mean, I don't have any patience. I'm really, I'm terrible. I'm really terrible. Stephanie, you missed a good place to say amen. Amen. <laughs> and when I don't see something happening, I get a little throat off. I get to chasing squirrels or looking around. I want to think, if God's not, let me help you out, if God's not working on my timetable, then... I mean, he's so good, the least I could do is help him out a little bit. Right? No. Wrong. Faith is still working, even though you can't see it. Can I tell you, learn to step back and wait on the Lord. Faith displaces doubt. Steve, John, if we could turn that. I want to, now this is a little video test. Dalton and myself and Emily did this, and I want to, Now that is a tuning fork. Play it one more time. That is a tuning fork that is made specifically to calibrate a radar gun on a policeman's car. I've gotten several tickets since I moved to Texas, so I decided to have my truck calibrated. And I'm not joking. And the speedometer is off, so it's not putting my fault. But when we tested this radar gun that's in this bag, has anybody ever been to court and you heard the judge say, officer, did you calibrate your radar before and after? Did anybody, anybody ever heard that other than me? Please let it be. Thank you, Alan. Frankie. The judge will ask the officer, sir, did you calibrate your radar gun that day before running radar on the road? That, yes, sir, I did. Well, we calibrated this and I, didn't, I said, what are you doing? He said, I'm getting ready to calibrate my radar gun. So we're riding in the road and <coughs> takes, takes this, you hear the ringing, and he takes the radar gun and shoots it, and he said, yep, that's right. I said, well, what, what's right? He said, 50 miles an hour. He said, this, this fork is machined 
that this leg is, these two legs are moving at exactly 50 miles an hour when SmackDown was on. And he said, that's how they, they tune radar guns because they know that it's correct because these two legs are actually moving at 50 miles an hour. Now show that video again. Now, when you look at the video, you can't see the legs moving. But I want you to see what happens when it comes in contact with doubt, disappointments, unbelief, problems, dilemmas, issues. It begins to displace and push out things that don't need to be there. You can't see it moving, but it is still moving. And can I tell you, your faith is the same way. When you get faith in God, we used to sing that old song I mentioned the other Wednesday night. We had this lady at River Oak Church of God named Eunice Mayfield. This little black lady could sing. I'm telling you, she could sing. She had that deep soul and she would sing this song, Have Faith. And the choir would say, have faith, and she'd say, in God. And she, she'd sing it again, have faith in God, and over and over and over. And I want to tell you, that's the problem we have today. We don't really have faith in God when we don't see it moving. We don't realize God's never stopped. God is continuously moving in our situation. And when faith begins to interact, it demands that doubt flee. When we did that little test yesterday, I, I wish you could have seen mine and Dalton's face when we saw how much water flew out of that cup because what we were sticking in the cup didn't look like it was moving. But when it touched the water, it immediately just displaced the water. And I want to tell you, your faith displaces the attacks of hell. Your faith begins to push back the attack of the enemy. Your faith is backed by the authority of the Father. The truth of his word displaces all doubt, solves all dilemmas, and disrupts hell's agenda in your life. Eric, if you'd come. And this is what I believe in this place this morning, that we've got a lot of people that your faith is at an all-time low. I want to tell you something. You can come in, you can worship, you can sing, you can lift your hands, you can even teach a class, but your faith can be at an all-time low. And we serve a mighty God. Say, well, Pastor, I just don't see much happening it's still moving. God's working. God's still working. It doesn't look like it. But God's still working. I told Dalton yesterday after we did that little test, if we would have taken the time, we could have did that over and over and knocked all the water out of that glass. Exercise over and over and over and over and over just because you felt a setback you haven't seen God move on your timetable don't feel like that everything is lost God is still moving 
just because you've been believing God to save that child or deliver that family member, heal that marriage, touch your body, whatever you need God to do, breakthrough in finances, whatever you need God to do, begin to exercise that faith. Don't stagger. Don't waver. There's so many areas in our life that we can waver when it comes to the Lord. You know, I can think of times in our life that we may have been in a tight financial spot and I would look at what we were tithing and giving and I would think, man, this month right here, that could go a long ways from paying some bills. But I, I tell Stephanie, I said, I just can't. He's been so good to me. I can't do it. He's been too good to me. I couldn't stagger in that way. And there's so many ways we can stagger in our faith. But I want to tell you this morning, I, I truly believe that God wants to displace doubt, disappointment, and unbelief in your life. Some of you have gotten a habit of when somebody mentions a certain situation to you, you, say, you do it just like it. Well, we're still praying, but you're really not. Well, we're believing for God to move, but you really don't. And I want to tell somebody this morning, God is interested in your situation. He is a, the Bible tells me he's my personal savior. I'm glad to know that just because he's interested in Josh and Brandy, that doesn't mean he's not just as interested in Mike and Stephanie or Dalton and London or Tammy and Russell or Paul and Allen or whoever it may be. God is interested in your situation. And today, I believe that faith is going to be injected back into your life. Thank you for listening to our podcast here at Life Fellowship Church in Hearst, Texas. God is doing great things at our church, and we would like for you to be a part. Join us on Sundays at 10.30 a.m. and Wednesdays at 6.45 p.m. Get connected with us through Facebook or our website at www.lifefellowshiphearst.org. Thank you, and God bless.